reading of the text this morning will be Acts chapter 13, verses 48 through 51. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a paperback Bible in front of you. And use that this morning and take it home with you if you don't have one, man. We want to gift you with God's word. One thing that you may notice um, is that we've read from the Bible about six times already, and this will be the seventh time, and we are uh, shameless about that. So if you don't own a Bible, you probably should if you're going to be coming to Westside, and we are shameless about our love for God's word. So um, follow along with me, Acts chapter 13, verses 48 through 51. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Westside. We're glad that you're here. And today is sort of the last day in our vision series. And so what we do sort of each time this year is we take a look at who we are as a church and just sort of ask God through his word on what we can be this coming year. And so oftentimes, every time that we sort of end a series, everybody's like, man, you know, what's coming up next and this, that, and the other. And so for the month of October, right before sort of the holidays, um, we're just going to hit you with it unashamedly. We're going to do a series called Managing God's Money. Not a lot of amens, right? Huh? And I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this. I've never done a full-fledged series on what the Bible says about money. And listen, just full cards on the table. If you're one of those people that are like, oh, the church is talking about money again, this, that, and the other. Hey, listen, I want you to come with that preconceived notion so we can shatter that thing into a million pieces, okay? So I want you to come, be a part of this. It's going to be really helpful. We're going to have resources and uh, this is a part of our identity statements that we're talking about. If we're going to talk about being a generous people, um, then we need to learn about what the Word says about that. And so what we've been doing over this past month of September is uh, we've been surveying the book of Acts, uh, the birth of the church. And, and what we haven't done is we haven't looked at the book of Acts like it was sort of, quote, the good old days. What we've done is we've looked at the book of Acts and said, what does that look like in 2019. Not something that once was and never will be again, but what were the key characteristics as we look at the birthing of the church and it literally turning an entire empire up on its head? What were some key factors in that? And, and, and maybe as a way of introduction, this is a picture of a New Testament scholar by the name of J.B. Phillips. J.B. Phillips was very good friends with C.S. Lewis. He was um, educated at Harvard, translated the New Testament um, out of its original language. The guy has more degrees than Fahrenheit and really, really smart guy. And as he translated the book of Acts, his preface to the book of Acts, he says these words. No one can read the book of Acts without being convinced that there is someone else here at work besides mere human beings. Perhaps because in their very simplicity, perhaps because of their readiness to believe, to obey, to give, to suffer, and if need be, to even die, the Spirit of God found surely what he has been looking for, a fellowship of men and women so united in love and faith that he can work in them and through them with the minimum of let or hindrance. Consequently, 
It is a matter of sober historical fact that never before has any small body of ordinary people so moved the world that their enemies could say with tears of rage in their eyes that these men and women have turned the world upside down. That's good. That is good. Drink that with your cup of coffee in the morning. But that is a vision of what the people of God can look like in 2019. And so what we've done over these past weeks is, is we've just sort of taken these words. We've said to glorify that the point of Westside is to point to Jesus. That's it. Plain and simple. And so we've even implemented some of these changes that you've experienced in our worship gathering. Just as Pastor Tyler said, the amount of Bible, the amount of prayer that is taking place. You know, I would, I, please, I would love for someone to come up to me and just go, geez, a lot of Bible and prayer today. That would just be fantastic. That would be the greatest compliment ever that we could have as a church. And so the point of us existing is to point to Jesus. But then when that happens, that, that the church grows, we look at that in Acts chapter 2. But it's not just to grow, but rather it's to grow healthy in a number of areas. And then just to glorify, grow, and then gracious. As Parker taught us, what does it look like to be a gracious people in a hostile world? Because, um, I don't know, have you turned on the news lately? Has anybody tried to live their Christian life out? But the world is hostile and not so excited about this message. So what does it look like for people in their witness and in their words and in their walk to be gracious? And then we talked about the radical generosity of the New Testament church. I mean, if there was a characteristic that the whole world could not ignore was the fact that these Christians took care of not only their own people, but people that weren't even like them. That people were attracted to this Jesus because there were a group of people saying, oh, do you have a need? Well, we can meet that. And then today, we're, we're ending with sort of an undergird that you see all through the book of Acts, a, a grateful people. I mean, there's multiple times in the book of Acts where it says, and they thanked God, and they rejoiced, and they praised God. There's even moments where um, Peter and James get beat down for preaching. And as they leave after getting beat down, it says that they thanked and praised God for being counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Goodness gracious. What, what does that look like in 2019? And actually, when you look all through the New Testament, this is a trademark of the people of God that is literally the opposite or the antithesis of the entire world. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talks about why the world is the way that it is. Why is it broken? Why is it so hostile? Why is there so much evil taking place? And he says these words, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or... What's that phrase? Oh, do we need another cup of coffee? Are we ready to go this morning? Okay. What's the phrase? Or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's interesting that um, the people who don't, do not love God, though they know God exists, they do not honor him as God, but what's the direct correlation that the Apostle Paul says the way that you honor God's position? You give thanks. And then later on in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul says this, but understand this, that in the last days... In the last days, there will become times of difficulty. 
For people will be lovers of self. They'll be taking selfies all the time. Oh my goodness. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and unholy. Some of you are like, in the last days, that was this morning coming to church. That was like at 8.30 in my house, right? Interesting, as I studied the scriptures this week, that one of the marks, listen, as the world grows darker, we've said this, the church shines brighter. The church rises above. So do not come up to me with, oh my goodness, this North Korean, oh my goodness, this, and oh, all of this, that, and the other, and oh, there's no hope for the world. No, 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 there is hope for the world. And the hope is a person, and the person is Jesus Christ. But one of the statements that we can tell that the world is getting darker is the Apostle Paul says that people will continually become more ungrateful. That's crazy to think about, right? I mean, if I was making a list, I don't think I would have just put ungrateful in there. So that tells me something, that it's important, that there's something different about the people of God and the way they live. And I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Man, Jason, it's not even November. You're talking about Thanksgiving right now, right? Aren't churches supposed to preach that one sermon around November and Thanksgiving so I have to sit at the table with my in-laws that I don't like and just grip my teeth and say, God, I'm grateful, right? The reality is I think, I think this should be a message like once a month probably for us to be grateful because I know what you're saying. You know this, that you're supposed to know this and live this in your mind. But do you know what I think gratitude actually looks like for the people of God? I think the sentence is like this. I mean, I'm grateful for blank, but, I mean, I mean, I'm grateful for my marriage, but, I mean, I get it, I love my kids, and I'm grateful for my kids, but, I mean, yes, I have a job and a roof over my head, and I'm grateful, but, that's not gratitude, that's greed, because what you think is, is that there's something else missing from the equation, right? We call this Dorothy syndrome, right? Anywhere but Kansas, anywhere. She gets to go somewhere other than Kansas, and what does she do the entire time she's there? Oh, can I get back to Kansas, right? Hey, listen, listen, newsflash. The answer is not a new job, not a new spouse, not a new city. The answer is a content grateful heart. That's the answer. Because our contentment is not contingent upon our circumstances. And when we look at the New Testament, there is something about how, how does this church in the book of Acts, through persecution, through hostility, through all of these things, how do they remain faithful in the journey? I mean, how do they, I mean, we saw last week that it got rough a few times. And there were some things that crept in, but they still remained faithful to the call of God. And listen, here's the big idea, and I really think it's the foundation for us. A faithful church is a grateful church. That's it. A faithful Christian is a grateful Christian. You show me somebody who's been walking with the Lord for 25 plus years, and I will show you a person that there is not enough pages in a notebook to fill it with how grateful they are to God. 
Because it's this something that we have to go back to. There's something in my motivation and in my journey and in my walk with Christ that I have to have a reservoir to pull from. And that reservoir is the reservoir of gratitude. And so very simply, I'm going to do something different. We're going to actually turn to multiple passages today. And so a lot of times we just sort of stay in one passage, break it down like Lincoln Logs and then look at that. But I want to show you as an overview that there's multiple times in the book of Acts that it says that they were grateful and thankful. And so we have to ask, what were they thankful for? What was this reservoir that they kept pulling from? Well, the first one is this, is that that they're grateful for salvation. That's the text that was originally read to you. And so what's going on here in Acts chapter 13 is that um, Paul and Barnabas, remember Barnabas? Remember that guy? This guy just keeps getting mentioned all the time in the book of Acts, right? Barnabas is the goat in the book of Acts, right there with Tom Brady and Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Oh, we, oh, right, we're not supposed to go too far. Okay, right? So what they're doing is they're going around and they're preaching and they're spreading the gospel news. And every time there, there's two reactions, always two reactions in the book of Acts. When the gospel is preached, there is rejoicing and then there's a riot. That's it, right? It is either like, this is fantastic, or it is, um, we have to kill those guys, Right? It is either rejoicing or a riot. And what we see here in Acts 13, verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Now, there's a little translation thing here. Um, If you have a New Living Translation, it will say very specifically, and they thanked God. That's actually the original construction. that, That the Gentiles thanked God for what? For this good news. And then it says they glorify, up. Oh, there's the word. It's almost like we should have a bright shining light to lead us, right? They glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. But here it is, verse 49. And when the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Interesting, right? Interesting. What was spreading in the book of Acts? The word of God was. Because God has promised one thing that will never return void. It's not the new hit worship song. It's not a personality. It's not some story. It is the very word of God. We believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. That's why we have a lot of Bible read. The only thing that's going to change someone's life is the very words of God empowered by the spirit of God. That's what spreads. But then verse 50 says this, but the Jews incited the devout women of high... Isn't it interesting? The Jews got some ladies fired up, right? You want something done? Fire up the ladies, okay, right? So, like, like this will be fun. Let's do this. Um, Over here, you guys, you you guys are going to be the Gentiles, okay? You guys are the Gentiles. That means non-Jews, all right? You guys are the Gentiles. And over here, you guys are going to be the Jews, okay? I'm Sure, probably that sentence, if it got put on YouTube, would be politically incorrect right now or something like that, okay? So listen, here's what I want to do. I'm going to say, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. And you're going to go, yay, yay. All right, you're in the sermon now. You ready to do that? And then I'm going to say, but the Jews, and I want you to go, boo, and do that, all right? Can we have fun in church? Can we have fun in church? All right, here we go. And when the Gentiles heard this, all right, but the Jews, that's great. See, we're having fun in church. It's the Bible. This is great, right? You see, what's interesting is, is when the gospel is proclaimed. See, I didn't know this. I didn't know this when I became a young preacher. 
I thought, this is the gospel. This is the good news. Everybody's going to love this. No. But it says that when the Gentiles heard this, they thanked God. Because you've got to understand, listen, they never thought they could get in. They thought, oh, that, yeah, that's good news, but it's good news for, for those people, for the white, wealthy. It's for, it, see, it's for them. They've never been divorced, and so it's the good news. They've never struggled with the addiction and had to file for bankruptcy, and so, yeah, it's good news for them. And then Paul and Barnabas come to town and go, no, 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 no. It's for the whole world. Jesus died for every single person. And then they get so excited about this that they thank God that they realized, oh, it's for us. We're included in this. And then I love what the apostles did when, when the Jews started the riot. Verse 51, they got their Taylor Swift on, you see, but they shook off the dust. Shake it. Okay, all right, cool. And so they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And then here it is, verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. How? How can they keep just remaining faithful in the call? Because they're, they're grateful for salvation. And the way that Paul, man, I would have loved to have heard them preach. I mean, talk about a guy who's saved from something, the Apostle Paul. And again, he's pulling from this reservoir. He's, he's so grateful himself that he's proclaiming this message, and people become grateful. I thought about this, and I thought it was interesting. This is a picture of Robert F. Smith. You might have heard of him in the news. Robert F. Smith is an investor and entrepreneur. He is the 134th most wealthiest person on planet Earth. Last spring, he spoke at Morehouse College, and at the commencement, he talked about that he believed in this generation and that they could make a difference, and that he didn't want them, I mean, you can look up the speech, it's, it's fantastic. He said he didn't want them to have to be shackled by debt in order to not make a difference. So at the commencement speech to 400 graduates, Robert F. Smith said that he was going to pay off every student loan to the amount of $34 million at the commencement. Now, some of you are like, well, he's the wealthiest guy in the world, and so he should do that. And most of the time, people who say that don't give a dollar to anything else in their life, okay? Right? But look at the reaction of the students. Could you imagine that? I mean, you're here, it's the commencement. I mean, it's four, five, six, or for some of us, maybe it took you eight years to get the degree or something, right? And so you're paying, you're like, I'm Sally, may I am shackled here, man. And then listen, somebody proclaims Jubilee, freedom, debt has been paid. For some of us, that reality is still very true about student loans. And if you got a letter like that in the mail, you would jump up, shout, stomp your feet, and it would be incredible. But yet we gather as a people every Sunday, and we say there was a debt 
that we could not pay, the very breath that is in our lungs, that we were indebted to the creator God, and rather than worship him as God, we denied and worship ourselves as God. And then we say that God sent his only son and lived the life we could not live, died the death that we deserved, and three days later rose again. The grave is empty, the throne is occupied, the check has been cleared. And this changes everything for us. That now, I'm not my past. I'm not my failures. I'm not my shame. That I can go to bed at night and lay my head on that pillow and know that the creator of the cosmos, listen, isn't just, doesn't just like me, but delights in me. That Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. When it comes to being grateful, your salvation is your greatest motivation. What other motivation do we need? My goodness gracious. And I think that it happens in waves for us in our life. When we first sort of come to know Christ and his beauty, it's like, oh my goodness, all the bad stuff I did, this is crazy, I'm forgiven, right? And then there's some years that go by and then you realize the, the immense blessings that are in your life and you go, wow, what did I do to deserve this? They're grateful and they're grateful for salvation. The second thing that I see is this, is that they're grateful for trials. Turn right in your Bible to Acts 27. Let me hear those Bible pages turning. Acts chapter 27. Oh man, that's music to my ears, those Bible pages. Acts 27, starting in verse 33. So the Apostle Paul is traveling. This dude is on the road, going to cities, preaching the gospel. And we see here, that he's grateful for trials. So he boards a Roman ship with a few hundred people on it. And when he gets on the ship, everyone's like, who's this guy? And they're like, he's a preacher. We're like, a preacher? What? You're going in the basement. Get out of here, man, right? And then he says that um, there's a storm that's going to happen, guys, and things aren't going to go well. And then the Apostle Paul just, you can read the story, it's fantastic. He stands up and he says, but guys, listen, the storm's coming, but it's okay. An angel came to me. It's fine. The angel said we're not going to perish, it's okay. Can you imagine just how bold he was in light of that? And he says that the word of the Lord came and said that everything's going to be okay, but we have to get rid of some stuff on this ship and do these things. And right when it's happening, they... They haven't eaten in 14 days. They haven't eaten in light of the storm. Verse 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you, how cranky were they, right? Do not, don't even look me in the eye, okay? We're on a ship, I haven't eaten. The 14th day that you've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food. For it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God. Listen, in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And then look at this effect, verse 36. And they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all, Luke's writing this, so he just shifted language on you. He was on the boat. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. 
Verse 38, And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out some of the wheat into the sea. Crazy. They don't know if they're going to live. A storm is happening. All of this is going on. Paul's like, let's get real practical here. We're going to pray. We're going to eat. And then in the midst of all of it, he gives thanks to God that he's grateful. Interesting. That he didn't focus on what was going on that was bad. But rather instead, his priority was to be grateful for the provision that God provided amidst the storm. That's a change of perspective. Because if I told you to make a list of everything that is wrong in your life, that would be very quick to do. Very quick. But then if the shift was, okay, now that all that's going on in your life, draw another column and tell me what's good in all of that. That's what separates it. That's what changes the people of God amidst an ungrateful world. Maybe, maybe this will help. A couple years ago, when well, a couple storms rolled through southeast Missouri, um, we had a big uh, tree in our backyard just snap, and it crushed a swing set that we had back there. And every time I pulled into the house, it was just like, there's that tree, right? We're going to have to cut this thing up. It's going to be a project. And it was just burdensome. Then finally, one day, um, Roman comes home after school, and we're out there, and he starts climbing in the tree, and I took a picture of it. And he was like, Dad, this is so great. Look at this tree. And I was like, great? What is great about it? He was like, it's like a treehouse. Look, at this is so, he said this, this is so much better than what it was. Like, yeah, well, you're not going to cut the thing up, all right? You contribute nothing to our house, right? Okay. And then I just thought, for anyone to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must turn from being an ignorant, ungrateful adult. That's in the Jason translation. And you must turn and you must be like these children. Because no one will enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are like this. Why? Because of that perspective. What I saw as an obstacle in my day-to-day life, grinted teeth, pulled in the driveway, I am, ugh. Roman saw it as an opportunity. I saw it as an obstacle. He saw it as an opportunity. And then how much more so if we look at it, this is just a tree that blew down in a storm. And look at how it affected my day-to-day life. Well, what about bigger, serious trials? When James says this, count it all a joy. Ladies, remember this? You remember this? Count it all a joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I'm sorry, did you say count it a joy? Because I thought that's what you said. Yep, that's what I said. Count it a joy. Why? Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Hupone. To stay there. To remain faithful there. To not move from there. That when the pressure's on, it doesn't push you out, but it plants you firm and you don't move because a faithful church is a grateful church. That it produces this steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect. Don't move. Don't run. Don't get out from underneath the pressure because that is doing something. And what it's doing is, is that you may be perfect 
and complete, lacking in nothing. What would it look like if we were, listen, here's the sentence. What if the obstacle in your life that you were grumbling about is actually a God-ordained opportunity for you to express your gratitude? That's different. That changes everything. This is no longer an obstacle to grumble about in my life, but rather this is an opportunity to be grateful for God that literally and metaphorically this whole ship that is my life is sinking and I am in the eye of the storm, but I thank God because He has brought me this far. So I see that they're thankful for salvation, that they're thankful for trials, and then the last thing is this, that they are grateful for each other. Turn just one more page in your Bible to Acts 28. One more page. The ship that Paul was on now arrives at Rome. Paul always wanted to go to Rome because he knew this. If I can stand before Caesar who rules the known world and preach the gospel there, then it will have a profound impact on the culture. The funny thing is, is that people were saying, Paul, we prayed for you about going to Rome. And actually, if you go to Rome, you're going to die. And Paul said, I know, God told me that too. But I can't stay here long as I'm going to Rome, right? So it says that, that he arrives there, Acts 28, verse 11, here it is. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island. So they come up on shore, get back another three months, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Hey, by the way, um, if this was a fairy tale, you don't involve those type of details. That doesn't make sense. So if you're like, ah, this is just storytelling. If I'm telling a story, I'm not giving you that much detail. Okay, that's just a rabbit side note. You can trust your Bible. Let us continue. Verse 12, putting in at, at the word that um, I went to public school. We stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at, there you go, and after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to, yep, verse 14. Then we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. So we came to Rome, verse 15. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, they came as far as the forum of Apopus and three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, here it is, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. Do you see everything that's going on? What I see now is, is that they're grateful for each other. Paul arrives in Rome. Rome, by the way, is killing Christians, killing Christians. So he arrives at a hostile place. Imagine a battlefield where the enemy is there. And then he realizes that the brothers and sisters were there. This is the language that is used of Christians. They were actually slandered against and rumors were started that Christians well, fell you know, prey to incest because they called themselves brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he arrives in enemy territory and then realizes that there's brothers there. And imagine the Steven Spielberg scene. On seeing them... Paul thanked God, and then here's the phrase, took courage, literally encouraged. Do you know the etymology in the story? Do you know what encourage means? Encourage means to put courage into. That's what it means. Discourage means to take courage 
out of someone. When you encourage someone, you literally put courage in them. And Paul said that he had courage put into him by the people of God. So what are we grateful for? We're grateful for the fact that life is better when we live life together. Hey, how about this? Um, Does anybody need courage put into them? Yeah. Tomorrow's Monday. Anybody need a little courage put into them? Listen, we say this all the time. God uses people. So the answer to your prayers is not found in isolation. But the answer to your prayers is found in community. And listen, Paul, Paul needed people. This guy writes two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, when people got on his nerves, he was like, you're blind. And they were blind. I've asked God for that gift, but he's not. right. I mean, like, raise people from the dead. I mean, incredible stuff. He saw the resurrected Christ. By the way, he saw the third heaven. God was like, hey, do you know what I got in store for you? Check this out. And he was like, whoa. And listen, Paul needed people. He needed people to to put courage into. So how are we going to remain faithful in this journey? Listen, Westside, how are we going to remain faithful in 2019 into 2020? A faithful church is a grateful church. And let me just ask, I just want to ask this question, what would it look like? What would it look like for a church to glorify Jesus? I mean, listen, if the point of the church is to point to Jesus, then the point of the church is not your preferences, but the point of the church is biblical priorities. What does it look like of a group of people who lay down their preferences in order to point to Christ? What what would it look like for a church that grows healthy, emotionally, spiritually, biblically, What would that look like? What would it look like for a church that is so gracious in a hostile world where the impending doom, God forbid, 501c3 non-for-profit is taken away? Oh my goodness, now what shall we ever do? We will remain gracious in our words, in our work, and in our witness. What would it look like for a church that was radically generous? No strings attached. I mean, radically and generous listen look up here for people that don't deserve it oh what if they were radically generous to people who squandered their generosity what would that look like and then what would it look like for people amidst cancer death and suffering to remain incredibly grateful do you know what the answer to that is The answer to that is a question. It's your question. And it's this. What would it look like if I glorified Jesus? What would it look like if if I grew healthy? What would it look like if in my marriage and in my parenting and in my relationship I was gracious? You see, listen, this vision will only be applied corporately as it's applied individually. So the series ends today with the work for 2019 and 2020. It really begins. And so Westside, stand to your feet as we close and as we come to the table and we see the elements of grace that we give thanks to. And as we have incorporated now, grab your guide to worship.
as we lift our voices and pray how Jesus taught us to pray as we come and as we give thanks for what God has done for us today. Westside, lift your voice. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as a people who are grateful. And God, I pray today that that our perception of the world around us would change, that we would know that you're, man, Paul knew that you were present and active now. We don't pray and beg, God, please be active. We become aware to your activity now. And when our eyes are open, what we see through the book of Acts is a people that are grateful. So Holy Spirit, maybe today we'd be so convicted of how ungrateful we were this week, this morning, 10 minutes ago. And may we be so comforted, so comforted for the good news of our own salvation for the good news that a storm is going on and a boat is sinking, but in the midst of the trial, we lift our eyes and we give thanks to the God who is active. And then today, maybe we cross an aisle and we grab the hand of a friend and we say, I haven't told you this, but the text message that you sent me this week, you have no idea. I'm so grateful for you. Now, maybe you've never told you that. Holy Spirit, have your way with us as we come to the table and we see the elements of grace. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.